1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Hello and welcome to the second live stream of the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan, with me as always is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics and pinch hitter for several other sports over at dk pittsburgh sports lately burgeoning pittsburgh sports coverage star Corey christen how you doing brother
1: pinch hitter is a great term for it too you know getting back in with the (laughs) pirates it felt good to be back into baseball after you know taking a little bit of time off and being so football heavy but this show is going to be not just football heavy because of the blue gold spring game that we just saw, you know, less than a day ago, but also because we're going to, we got some more basketball news and some more basketball notes to tidy up. And it's kind of interesting, Gary, that, you know, about a year ago, it was, Oh, what's pit basketball going to do? How good are they going to be? How much are we going to talk about them now? Every move that not just the men's team, but also what the women's team is doing recently, of course, with hiring a new head coach is making the headlines. So the show doesn't stop here with pit athletics either, despite all the other stuff that's going on. So we just keep it moving.
0: That's right, man. And let's bookend the show with basketball. Let's start with women's hoops. We'll go into the spring game and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of men's hoop news. Okay. Um, big news elephant in the room. Tory Verdi is the, is the guy that's who Heather Lake has found. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know whether this is a good move or not. Corey, I don't even know if I expect you to know that, but what do you think?
1: The thing with Tory Verdi is he has turned Eastern Michigan and UMass into winning programs. And the connection with Heather Light goes back to Eastern Michigan. Heather Light was the athletic director there for a few years before coming to Pitt and then Tori Verde was the women's basketball coach there as well. So they they overlapped for a few years at Eastern Michigan. So the relationship was there. And quite frankly, Gary, the track record was there too with Verde and turning UMass, which is, you know, A-10 program, mid-major, turning them into winners. UMass la- last season, 27-7, won the regular season A-10 title. They lost in the A-10 tournament championship game. They went to an NCAA tournament a few years ago. So he's turned relatively middling programs and within the Mac, you know, the standard over there really is Toledo. It's Bowling Green. Now they have a new coach. there coming in, but like he turned two programs that were not the standards in their league and made them the standard programs in their league, if that makes sense. Right. So he, ha- he has a good track record at the mid majors, which is quite frankly, when you're a, a power five program, you want someone that has, the credibility and the ability to build up programs. And that's kind of all he's done throughout his career. He had a small spin at Columbia, but was mostly an assistant throughout his career. Got his shot at Eastern Michigan, turned them into winners. Got his shot at UMass, turned them into winners. So he's just kind of leveled up along the way each way. Just kind of like Heather Like has, quite frankly. And what we see with Heather Like, obviously with Lance White, that was a hire and a fire by Heather Like. Lance White was the first coach that she hired that she also fired. So this is a, this is a like kind of going back into the well, if you will, admitting a little bit of, Hey, we got this wrong. Let's get it right. And look, Tory Verdi has a huge task ahead of him because he has four players on his roster right now. Four. Now, One of them in Marley Washington has played significant minutes last season. Another one, Gabby Hutcherson, she was a former, I believe, five-star recruit going to Ohio State and then transferred to Pitt. So he has a couple of pieces to build off of, but he's basically going from scratch right now. And in the ACC, which I will argue is the toughest women's college basketball conference, it is harder now to win in the ACC than it ever has been when it comes to women's college basketball. So this is a tall task for anybody. And I went to the press conference. I went to the Pete for everything. I talked to him. I did a one-on-one with him. And the thing with Birdie is he's not naive to the situation. He's fully aware that he's coming into a a project, so to speak, a has to build it up. And it's kind of funny. He went on um, ACC Network late last week, and he used the words brick by brick. Tell me Jeff Capel hasn't been in his ear <laughs> so far since he's been in the building. Right. But Tory Verde is is very understanding that this is a project team to build back up. This isn't a come in, take it over. Let's win the league next year. This is very much a procedural thing that has to happen. And kudos to him for saying the right things. He's saying we we have the expectation to be a winning team next year, not, you know, three, four years down the road, like 23, 24. We're going to start winning. And. I appreciate the aggressiveness. I appreciate the candidness. I appreciate that he's speaking in that way because most coaches would look at this and say, you know what? It is going to take time to rebuild. It is going to take time to get our feet back underneath us. And not to say that he's not understanding of that because he is, and it's evidence because he's had to do this elsewhere, but he is immediately like the first punch that he was able to pull on The public image on here's the mission on, hey, donors, look, here's what I'm bringing to the table, was the expectation is we are going to start winning now, whether that's off the floor with just recruiting, with practicing, with developing players, which will transition into winning on the court. And that's going to become like winning down the road, which is what most coaches would talk about, like we're going to win down the road. But he's talking about Winning now so they can win down the road. So I found that approach very interesting. I'm if happy he's ab-
0: saying I'm happy he's saying all the right things. I well, really want to talk
1: about winning press conferences. Right. And I put that in air quotes. He definitely won that press conference, if that makes sense.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. So I guess to to know if we're addressing the right problems, we need to understand the problems. So what went wrong with Trey Lance? Like what was not happening that was white? You mean Lance White (laughs) Trey Lance? 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 I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm thinking about something else.
1: Well, basketball playoffs. I mean, you want to talk about Trey Lance. Geez, Atlanta.
0: What what happened though for real? Because like things just kind of never clicked.
1: It felt like at least towards the end, and this came from Malia Johnson, who was a rising sophomore on this team last year, who now is transferred away. She's at Houston. Like the team just kind of gave up on Lance White, quite frankly. And okay. it's, it's sad when that kind of thing happens, but after you lose for five years and after you just fail to bring in these top recruits, the thing with Lance White is he never found a star player like Dejanette Harris, all due respect, good player. All due respect to Malia Johnson, good player. All due respect to Marley Washington, good player. They are not, so to speak, franchise or program cornerstones that right. you could look at and like, Perfect example is, is the Asia Fair at Syracuse. And is it, is, is it an easy layup example for me to use? Yes. So I'll use it. The Asia Fair came from Buffalo, was fourth in the nation in scoring at a mid major last year, and became first team all ACC this year. And I believe she was, this could be corrected if I'm wrong, but I think she was a third team or an honorable mention all American. But like Felicia Laguette Jack goes from Buffalo to Syracuse. She built Buffalo into a winning program in the MAC goes to Syracuse gets them into the women's NIT and they win games at the women's NIT she brings her whole staff and like the, half the team for Buffalo over to Syracuse but the point is is that the Asia Fair was the straw that stirred the drink in the entire process if the Asia Fair doesn't come over with coach Jack to Syracuse Syracuse is still probably an under 500 team they're probably still rebuilding they're probably still looking for that one piece Fair sure. was the the reason why Syracuse had their success this year Pitt has never in the white era, in the Lance white era had that they had not had a star that could take over a game that could put up 20 points. And if they really needed it 30, they never had a player that could just seize control and like be the dominant force. He's had good players, but not that one special standout great player. And in the ACC, you need great players to win in in that league.
0: Let me ask you one more question about women's hoops before we move on just falling on my sword here. I'm not as familiar with it as the men's game is the transfer portal as big a thing. In other words, is Tony or Tori going to be able to rebuild through that process as easily as Jeff Capel was ultimately able to.
1: I don't want to compare the two because it's a little bit of apples to oranges in that scenario. And, and not because of the proceedings that go with it, the, the transfer portals rampant in every sport, really. I mean, look at Pitt women's soccer as a, as a little bit of an example, because, you know, Randy Waldrum had to do the same thing. He had to go into the portal and find some pretty good players and credit to him with the combination of the recruiting that he was able to do. He brought in some good transfer portal players, Landy Mertz being one of them, imperatively. And he was able to find a way to kind of build around all of that. Now, it doesn't get as widely talked about in the women's game as it does in the men's game. Does the portal? Right. But it definitely is as prevalent as ever because let's face it, like there are programs, and you're seeing it with Pitt men's basketball last year. Who knows what happens in you know 23 and 24 that can literally take a team from worst to first, you know, or worst to the top of the league. So it's going to be imperative that he hammers the transfer portal. Like I said, he only has four players on his roster as we you know sit here so he's gonna have to find a way to hammer it hammer it hard and i'm, I'm, I'm sure i haven't heard anything concrete but i'm sure some of the umass players are going to come over i mean that's just standard like conventional wisdom thought that some umass players will come transfer and follow him over so we'll see what the process unfolds and you know where, where Pitt women's basketball ends up by the time you know fall camp rolls around and we get to the start of the year
0: good let's hope next year you know come hoops time we're arguing about which one we're going to cover most in these podcasts right let's take a a quick break and for those of you watching the live stream it's just going to be us sitting here looking goofy for a couple seconds for those of you on audio just like normal Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, and we're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. If you haven't already done so, please like below. Please subscribe to the Pit channel. Corey's working hard to make sure that you've got a lot of player sound and coach sound up there, and and uh, video of him asking questions of people and getting uncomfortable answers. That's what he does. He's he's one of those journo people,
1: <laughs> asking uncomfortable questions too sometimes.
0: Absolutely, because mm-hmm. you know Corey, you guys don't ask the tough questions. Everyone knows that, right?
1: <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started, Gary. We don't have that time
0: today. Hey, I figure as long as we're live, we might as well pretend it's Twitter. We're not thinking <laughs> before we say, right? So here we are. <laughs> here we are, man. The blue and gold game took place. Now, I already told you before, I personally don't care too much about these spring games. <laughs> um, I know it has to be covered. I know it's important. I know you're there covering and looking and learning. I have a hard time taking much out of them. But you did. You noticed some things at this blue gold game. Maybe if you feel like it, tell everybody why these things get played.
1: <laughs> great. That's a great question to lead off. See, you're, 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 you got it, too. The, uh, the hard question gene in there. <laughs> the thing with the spring game is, number one, it's, it's obviously a glorified scrimmage. They all are. And uh, I saw the Sickos Committee on on Twitter picked up on Pat Narduzzi's scoring system. So that was quite funny. Um, It was a weird scoring system. And the fact of the matter is that Pitt basically won the game on a pick six that got 12 points for the defense. Uh, The pick 12, if you will, by P.J. O'Brien, which, you know, for me, the safeties were the standout position in the game. Right. We talked about before how. Brandon Hill and Eric Hallett, they're going to the NFL. You know, they they are the driving force of that defense. And I, and I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but their predecessors were there yesterday. DeMar Hamlin, Jordan Whitehead were in the building. And, like, this is now a succession line of pit safeties that, like, one comes in, the other leaves, the the, the next one just produces. Like, as DeMar Hamlin goes, Eric Hallett comes in, as Eric Hallett goes, here comes Javon McIntyre, P.J. O'Brien, and Donovan McMillan. O'Brien had the 50-yard pick 12, if you will, that essentially won the defense the game. It was a 33 to 32 final. Came down to the final drive, really. Like right. if you're into, if you're into spring games, this was about as exciting as it got. Um, and then Javon McIntyre, the way he just came out, he had six tackles and two for loss in the first half. Alone, And he really just looked explosive and was able to fly around and make some plays. The young D line looked good too. I mean, Jimmy Scott had a fumble recovery. Nikai Johnson was in the backfield. Elliot Donald was in the backfield. Like there were some key young players. And this is like almost a continuation of what I wrote about in the Sun Bowl or as a result of the Sun Bowl. Because if you remember, Pitt had all those players out. They had all those players either, you know, go to the uh, to, to prepare for the NFL draft or just sitting the game out, whatever it may have been for injury. And Pitt had to play their hand of young stack talent in, the, in their depth and the defense in particular. And like McIntyre had a strong end of the season, looked great in spring ball. He had a good spring game. PJ O'Brien has been talked about us having a good spring. Nikai Johnson and Carter Johnson, respectively, D end and tight end won the, I believe it's the Conway award for like the most improved player in the spring. It's a team award. So Carter Johnson, you know, we, we, we heard from him and it's kind of interesting because Pitt didn't, Pitt didn't have Gavin Bartholomew. They didn't have Dejon Reynolds and they didn't have Kanate Mumfield for this spring game. So, you know, the offense really was without some key weapons. And for me on the quarterback spectrum, because I know we're going to get there eventually, you know, on the quarterback spectrum, I think Phil had harder throws to make than Christian did, but Christian still handled the, the short, the intermediate throws pretty well. Right. But I, I think Phil missed a couple deep. His accuracy was fine. I think there was a little bit of timing issue, but all in all, I think the quarterbacks look fine. And Yarnell threw the most passes. Nate Yarnell threw 10 passes. And, you know, looking at Phil and Christian, they didn't throw that much. And Christian led them in in passing yards. He had the touchdown, which was just the swing pass to Derek Davis. And, uh, you know, Derek Davis and TJ Harvison, the transfer, and then the freshman, they each have nine carries to lead the backfield. So credit to Pat Narduzzi, Frank Cignetti, and really Randy Bates as well, the defensive coordinator, you know, for getting out some of the younger pieces that – Maybe they just needed to see more of and that they needed to see produce and they needed to see, you know, Rodney Hammond. He had the 91-yard kick return touchdown. I think he only had four or five or six carries. He didn't touch the ball that often on offense.
0: Right, because you don't need to know what he is. Correct. Right. Correct. And, uh, you know, he probably he had a off-and-on injury-plagued season, too. You He might not be a 100% ready to stretch his legs entirely mm-hmm. yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad to hear about the quarterbacks. I mean, I was interested in that, but as soon as, you know, you're missing arguably your top wide receiver, I immediately knew we weren't really going to see the offense Mm -hmm. at its true strength, you know? So I guess I didn't take too much from that. Uh, is there any truth to the fact that they let, uh, DeMar Hamlin call a play on defense?
1: So we were told. We were told DeMar Hamlin and Jordan Whitehead were calling plays. We that's were told. Awesome. Randy Bates told us that that Jordan Whitehead was on the headset for the defense's second to last stand. It would have been when Jake Fran yeah. in for a touchdown to cut the, the deficit to one. So that's what Randy Bates, the D coordinator, told us was that Jordan Whitehead and DeMar Hamlin, for that matter, were calling plays and. Uh, he said he is not looking to hire either of them anytime soon based <laughs> off of based off of the spring game.
0: Well, I mean, I think first of all, that's just gotta be a cool experience. If you're a, a player mm-hmm. on this team, you've got NFL players, alumni of your school in your ear calling plays. There's something special there. I think Pitt does a really good job of connecting the generations year to year in these types of events. So even though I kind of said I don't take very much out of the game, maybe that's really what comes out of the game. It's it's a good time to get alum back and get them around the team, get them familiar with those NFL players that came out of this program, gives them a little bit of a carrot to run towards. And, and I, I do like that.
1: That's part of it, no doubt. Every spring game has that. You know, it's an opportunity for the fans to, to interact a little bit more with the players for and the fans to see quite frankly, what like they've been working on in the off season to this point, obviously there's a whole summer. There's a, there's an early fall, I guess you could call it with training camp. And then before you know it, September two is going to be here. So what I, what I like about the spring game and quite frankly, the spring games to me, they're hit or miss. It just can be like some of them are, are very necessary. They're very entertaining. They're very, um, just, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Needed, maybe, even. Just to just to kind of put a bow on the spring stuff. And for Pitt, I think they fall in that category where, like, seeing this spring game was necessary and needed from the standpoint of where's Phil Dracovic come along at? Where has these young defenders come along at? But, like, when you're walking the sidelines and Aaron Donald is five feet away from you, it's like, holy smokes, you know, <laughs> it's right. You're looking like that's, that's him. That's the guy when DeMar Hamlin rolls around and, you know, he's still friends with members on the team, like Marquez Williams and MJ sure. Devonshire and all these guys. Like, it's like, Oh, that's DeMar Hamlin. And like, this is for every college football program. This isn't exclusive to Pitt, obviously, but you know, I I like the fact that it's more of a relaxed football game. Football can be buttoned up at, at, at times. And certainly Pitt, you know, they keep a lot of stuff close to the vest and in house. And Pat Narduzzi has a perception he likes to keep on his football team. And that's a good thing. You know, he does a good job of carrying it for Pitt, but this is definitely the opportunity and the chance to keep things loose and to keep things fun and to keep things in a way fresh. Like the offense was vanilla, obviously. And that's what the play calling was. Right but in a way to keep it fresh for the fans to say, Hey, here's what we got. Here's what you're going to see in 23. Here's, you know, here's Phil and here's some of these young guys that we've been talking about. So these events are always all encompassing in those regards for sure.
0: Pretty cool stuff. I'm glad that I'm glad it still takes place. It's just tradition if nothing else. And I'm glad that you guys can learn something from it because i am terrible at breaking down non-competitive films (laughs) like even watching things like that like i I see the combine i never necessarily understand how the the skills translate you know Mm -hmm. um like some people can so for me it's just not in my wheelhouse and i'm glad somebody is there to write as detailed about it as you did Go to DK Pittsburgh Sports and read that. It's really good. A lot of uh, videos involved in that as well. Uh, Takeaways from players and coaches after. So let's take another quick break, Corey. Come back, let's wrap up with men's basketball. All right. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh sports podcast network. It's time to bookend the show with hoops, Corey. I mean, we, we really never get tired of it, do we? <laughs> and uh pitch has scored a pretty good looking, um, transfer in forward Austin. Mm-hmm. What do you think? My friend
1: Zach Austin out of high point. It's a much needed boost to the front court that Pitt needed after losing Nike Sabandi, losing Jamarius Burton, um, you know, with Nate Santos and John Hughley transferring out. You know, Jeff Capel has had four scholarships to fill. He fills one of them with Austin. And the thing with Zach Austin is, you know, he shoots 32 percent from three. He's not going to light up the, you know, from outside, but he is hyper athletic. He's a good defender he is a guy that's not afraid to get inside he can dunk like like Nike Sabandi would watch his film probably how good of a dunker <laughs> he is so they got a guy that's really hyper athletic he averaged 14 points in the big south so you know it's a, it's a mid major he's coming from a mid major and it's not really a you know top of the line if you will mid major but averaging 14 points and, and 5 point4 rebounds when you're six seven and 201 pounds. You know, that still says something. So Pitt added athleticism to their, back, to their front court. And obviously Jeff Capel is not done, you know, right. looking at the portal. There are three guys, you know, three scholarships rather that, you know, he has to fill. And I would think that he goes in and tries to get a starting shooting guard out of the thing. In my opinion, Austin could start at three right now. And I don't think nice. there's any question about it. I think next year's starting lineup is going to include Zach Austin. And then, you know, that allows Jeff Capel to play Blake Kinson at the four. You could play either Federico or the Twins at the five, whoever you if you want to start one of them. And then obviously coming off the bench now, you know, Jeff is going to have uh, both of the twins coming off to solidify the four and the five. And then it's just a matter of maybe finding another three or you know, you're gonna have Marlon Barnes as a freshman. You still have Carrington and Lowe as freshman guards. To, to play with. So, you know, the roster's taking shape in a little way, you know, with the getting of Austin. And, and I think what the um, commitment of Austin does more than anything is it reassures just that front court position. And really, Jeff Capel's probably going to have to get one more front court piece. But I don't think there's any pressure to find like the top front court piece. I think Austin is solid enough to where cable could put a little more focus on finding a transfer guard and a transfer to guard in particular, that's maybe on the higher end than, you know, maybe your, your average, you know, looking back down at the portal rankings.
0: Yeah. It's, I guess Henson is not a true three, you know, he can do it. Austin might be more of a true three, right? So it's Mm -hmm. probably good to have that insurance policy there anyway. You can always let Henson have minutes there as well, if you want, or if he's out playing Austin. You got Will Jeffries coming back as well, probably. Dior Johnson, we didn't even mention. He's probably going to be running the point, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, he will. I think he will be.
0: So, yeah, it's looking like it could be a solid and competitive team, especially if the Twins and Fetty bulk up a little bit. Now, how do you approach something like that in the offseason besides telling them to eat more pizza,
1: (laughs) eat more pizza and get in the weight room? Funny enough, uh, this was I think this was last week, like Pitt's official men's basketball Twitter account posted a video of Federico and the twins or photos of Federico and the twins in the the weight room. So, you know, they've probably seen and they've probably heard people talking about those three needing to bulk up. So, you know, they gave you know, they gave the fans a little nudging saying, Hey, here it is. So I mean, my wife,
0: my I, wife told me the other day, fatty ordered a triple Decker hamburger. So that's good stuff. Like, hey,
1: <laughs> there you go. That's good. Hey, that's good. Scoop right there. That's that's it news. Sure you is, could man. Use. That's news. You could use Federico's taking it upon himself to eat a little bit more. Good.
0: Good. Uh, but those, those two in particular, the, those two entities, Getting a little bit bigger, a little bit less easy to push around underneath is is a frightening thing for the ACC with a ball distributor like Dior Johnson could be. That's something that Burton wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, he, he was good, but Dior's more of a natural ball distributor point guard. So should he work out and not get injured? which frightens me because they don't really have another true point guard beside him. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the big hole that it looks like for the recruiting trail to me.
1: It's one that needs to be filled again, three scholarships left. I think Capel uses it on a backup point guard, a starting shooting guard, and and then another small forward. I think that's the smartest thing to do about it. And when I think about like the, the, order right now at the depth chart, if you will, when it comes to Dior at the point, I think Jalen Lowe's more of a two. I think Carrington's more of a two. So maybe you just go for another point guard. When you have Austin and Jeffers at the the small forward, you have Federico and the twins splitting time at center in the four. Then you have Blake. Like Pitt is 10 deep right now, which is a good thing. You know, they have, you know, the season started tomorrow. They have a team, excuse me. Wow live recording (laughs) bug in the throat. Don't have the water nearby bad move on my part. But if the season started tomorrow, Pitt has a team to put on the floor. They just need more depth. They need more rotation pieces. And I think the shooting guard position is going to be the one that if there's going to be a starter flipped out of it, as it sits right now, it's going to be at the two. And I think Capel is going to want a two That is more of a Greg Elliott, maybe more of a spot three point shooter, and I think that would work for them given the profile. Like you said, of a Dior, like Zach Austin, who's not a high three point percent shooter. You know, someone to feed off of Blake Hinson outside. So I think that's what they're more going to lean towards. I need to figure this throat situation. I need to get some water. I need a coffee. I need something to figure this out. We're
0: going to figure it out (laughs) by ending the show here momentarily. But but let me let me just uh, quickly throw in there that I, I think we shouldn't forget where Capel came from, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And when you look at how Duke builds a basketball team, you shouldn't forget that he, he wants his bigs to be able to shoot too. So I don't know that, that you go in and just automatically think that Fetty is his dream. You know, I think he wants somebody that can shoot slightly outside of the paint or make those picks a little less obvious because every once in a while, he's going to roll out and take a, take a shot instead mm-hmm. of dive back in. He likes, you know, Duke loves to coach that trickeration in there. And it's, it's something that I think Capel would probably like to evolve towards with the, which the twins could have a little bit of.
1: Those would be the two most likely, I guess, candidates to be, you know, the more stretch four or stretch five, if you will, as, as three point shooters would be the uh, three as Graham twins, if you will. So I, I see potential within those two. And they showed flashes, quite frankly, yeah. of being able to shoot the three and, and being able to pop out and, you know, even being able to just simply make plays from the perimeter. Right. When you look at like the perfect highlight example was the the pocket pass from from brother to brother in the in the yeah. Iowa State game. Like, they have playmaking ability with the ball in their hands as much as they do off the ball.
0: That's not fair, though, because they're using telepathy. And and it's just a matter of time before the NCAA cracks down on that, Corey. Mm-hmm. I, it'll be just like the Houston Astros a few years ago. Oh, it's boy. Twin cheating.
1: By the way, quick note, uh, Jesse Edwards transferring from Syracuse and then the Syracuse NIL leader pulling out and basically saying, I'm done. Yeah, that's a huge deal, not just for that university. And I'm obviously speaking partly as an alum here, but like for, for college basketball, the ACC in general, like the trickle down effects upon that are massive. His name is Adam Weitzman. He, you know, very wealthy man. He has brought in and I'm not exaggerating when I say these names, Tom Brady, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Fallon, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, like he's brought who's who's in to watch Syracuse basketball games. And he's a big NIL booster, and he he said recently that he's done. He's done supporting with NIL, and you know that's a huge trickle down effect on not just that university, but also for what could affect the rest of the ACC as well. So I wanted to make a quick note about that.
0: Yeah, the other big thing that we're going to have to follow about the ACC next year is is Duke. They they got some returns I didn't expect. And Proctor
1: and Filipowski. Yep.
0: That team could be an absolute powerhouse next year. And I mean, like, we haven't seen in a while in college basketball a yeah. true dominant number one from tape to tape.
1: It's early on. It's looking that way. I mean, like just based on the returnees and looking at even some other teams like a like a UCLA, like they're losing Jaime Hawkins, right? They're losing. I think Tiger Campbell is entering the NFL draft, but I could be wrong. But like looking at some of the programs that have kind of been there recently and Duke's just kind of re like I think Derek Whitehead's gone. I think Lively's gone too. But they still have five stars coming in. They're still Duke. They're still going to pull guys in. But having Filipowski and Proctor back, that's bad news, not just for Pitt, yeah. not just for the ACC, but for all of college hoops. Like Duke, like you said, could be the team next year, I think.
0: its It makes it even more curious that Baycott decided to return to North Carolina. Because – there is no path to a championship this year for them, I don't think.
1: Unless he just wanted to play up his NBA drafts. I mean, that's that's literally could be the only reason. But, yeah, yeah that was a surprise to me to see Baycott, that he was returning. And, uh, you know, with Pitt, you know, they didn't really have many options as far as, you know, the seniors. Could they go? Could they stay? You know, the seniors were graduating and then Hughley and Santos entered the portal. So, right. you know, not really too many options for Pitt. They just got, kind of have to play the hand that they, they're they dealt right now. And that's what Jeff Capel's doing.
0: Well, to be fair, I like the hand. So, hey, let's take a quick break. Uh, not break. Actually, let's end the show. Yeah, let's I wrap forgot. Up. We're already no. on the
1: third. We're wrapping up. We flew by this one.
0: Yeah, man. I, I, we just got to talking and then and I got carried away. So
1: remember to subscribe on YouTube, DK Pittsburgh Sports Pit. Remember to follow us where podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they're all there. You can find us pretty easily on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And as always, Gary, appreciate you and in the time and we're on to the summer offseason can we call it that with football we're on to you know yeah. summer workouts and all this stuff
0: yeah I think so next time you see them there'll be a lot more sweat than there was this time So, <laughs> no doubt, <No> doubt. <laughs> alright everybody we always end the show the same way H2P